Hello everyone, welcome to, well actually first of all, Happy New Year! Manigong bagong taon! Feliz Año Nuevo! Welcome to a new episode of the First World Vanilla Podcast. New tagline, solving the root problem of the Philippines, the miscontinued development of a shared national identity. That's what I'm going with for this episode, but we'll see how that evolves. Um, before I start this episode, I just want to um, inform everyone that there must have, there there was um, there was an error apparently in one of my previous podcasts, the one on foreign direct investment or FDI. Someone brought up that I uh, accidentally conflated ODA, which is a which is sort of a government to government financing. Is that right? Let's see, ODA. O D A definition. Official, yeah. Official development find. Oh, sorry. Official development assistance. There we go. Defined as government aid designed to promote the economic development and welfare of developing countries. So O D A isn't necessarily F D I, or is not F D I. F D I is foreign direct investment. So, but this is more of a, this is more, ODA is more government aid. So apparently at some point in that podcast, I either conflated the two or I didn't make the distinction. Um, but I'm honestly too lazy to go through that entire podcast again. I mean, each of these things are like 30 minutes, so, and I'm doing a lot of other things. So, yeah, um, just in case you guys are confused. Um, so that's it for for bookkeeping. Uh, now let's go on to today's episode. And since it's it's January 7, as of the time of this, of this recording, January 7, uh, excuse me, 2019. Wow. <laughs> it's 2019 already. <laughs> wow. I feel old. But anyways, um, it is the first month of the new year. I, I took like a three-week break, which... Uh, um, did me well, I think. I got some rest, somewhat, but I've been working again, so I haven't been, haven't been getting much sleep recently, but I think maybe the few days I did have off were pretty good, so. And, of course, I'm totally a big advocate for getting enough rest, even if you're busy with work, even though I'm being a total hypocrite now. It's past 11 in the evening, and I'm still recording. But... Uh, yeah, I took a break and um, did a lot of thinking to the podcast, so of this podcast and what I'm going to do with it going forward. So I want to take this occasion to um, make this episode about my 2019 New Year's resolution for the first Vanilla podcast. What could it possibly be? Well, I'll tell you right now. So after running this podcast for several months, um, sort of, it, it's funny when you run these things, you sort of, you talk about certain issues and it's like, it's like writing an essay or something. You don't really know what you want to say until you write it out or, or do it several times over. Then you kind of drill down into what sort of you really want to, you know, bring to the table or add, uh, the, the kind of value you want to add, uh, with your media, um, so for me, in, in the case of this uh, First World Manila podcast, uh, initially what, what started 
off as being sort of a multi-pronged approach to the problems here. So talking more about um, about economic and urban planning issues and societal cultural issues, and those are still there. I I still want to continue that all that going forward, but. I started uh, after doing so these of these uh, after spending months doing this podcast. I started seeing sort of what, what sort of a shared or deeper underlying problem with, uh, with uh, the country. Why we remain, uh, for the most part, poor despite the economic economic growth. So, because. As I've said before in previous episodes, the policies are more or less well known. I mean, there's there there are there are there are arguments and contentions, but there there seems to be a consensus towards certain things. At least in my base, at least in my observation, you know, things like more competition, um, obviously anti-corruption, <laughs> um, stronger institutions, an uh, independent and efficient court system some reasonable form of foreign direct investment, lower power prices, right? Those are all there, but it's, it's not even a question of, of, of what the policies are. It's a question of doing it. And again, the question of getting it done, uh, the, the gulf between theory and action has to do with the people. Um, so drilling it down, and I'm sure many of you have heard me talk about this before. My my own sense of it after, after doing all this reading and research and thinking and podcasting, like there really isn't. And it, and this is, by the way, what I'm what I'm about to say so far from what from people I've talked to. There seems to be a broad consensus on this as well. Is that if I had to, if I had to drill down and see what the um, major problem with the the root 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 single root cause if i had to choose one uh the the problems that plague our our country and our society is that there's no strong sense of national identity and community um so you can refer to that that Atlant that famous atlantic article um the damaged culture of the philippines google it i mean he's the the author i forget his name now but he said the right thing like too much nationalism is, is very very bad but the Philippines actually suffers from a case of too little nationalism. Um, so this this seems to be something, and I, I've brought this up in informal conversations with my friends and the, and colleagues, and it, this, people seem to agree on this issue. I mean, so the policies there might be some dif difference and everything, but this seems to be the the key issue. And also based on the data analytics I've I've read, you know, I've uh, in my first Manila Facebook page, what's great about social media is that you can actually look at who clicks on what. So it's more targeted and, and more efficient these days, and I, I tend to see that things that involve, I mean, the pattern that I've seen so far with the first World Manila Facebook page is that there tends to be a lot of clicks on things like old Manila. So uh, people do care about heritage, and I think to a certain extent, by 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 extension, like who we are and what 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 does it mean to be Filipino? So that's sort of the root cause, and I, my New Year's resolution then is to, uh, going forward for First of Manila, is to, is to really strengthen our, our national identity and sense of community. Um, 
that's a very big task. It's very difficult. Oops, who emailed me? Oops. Anyways, um, just silence my phone. Um, but I have a following now. It's growing, so I think I'm on the right path. And obviously, things might change. I might adjust my views as much as as necessary. And you and I will be on this journey of learning and discovering. And I want to get back to this, and I want to get uh, back later on towards the end of this podcast into more specifics of what I want to do. But the overall resolution for first of middle of this year going forward, and that'll last for more than a year, of course, is to is to really remarket the cult, our culture to ourselves, our national culture that that I feel personally is sort of gone wayward and is you know on life support since World War II, and it's, it never really it's never really uh, recovered from that. So, and you'll see, you'll sort of see, and, and now we're kind of diving into like the center or, or the uh, the body of this podcast, is that you sort of see this, this sort of lack of identity and community, or shared identity and community, I mean, it's, it's physically manifest in our country. Uh, obviously, we have these these villages, and these it's, it's either these, these gated communities, these villages, and like... Um, you know these slums and poor areas punctuated by several malls um, but there's, there's no strong sense of urban planning there are no sidewalks uh, no real sidewalks no strong no really strong public transportation system no organized urban planning and and I'm sure you're maybe many of you are aware of that whole debate about what is it why, why is it that we for our like private space we're some people say we're, we're fairly clean. Uh, we, we shower for the most part, I think, for example. But when it comes to public spaces, we just litter and throw everything all around. Like, why is it that our private space, our, our, the private sphere is clean and pristine, and the public sphere is dirty and nasty? And it all, that, that also extends to our our interpersonal relationships. Why is it that um, why is it that there's no sense? There, generally speaking. There's no sense of the greater good. It's just you know me, my friends, and my fam, my family. Um, so it, I mean, you, we have to, we have to get to a point where there is a stronger sense among the greater good, at least among the people who are who can make changes here. So the ideas with First of Manila is again, I'm I'm um, I'm targeting the educated class of the Philippines. So at least among among the educated classes, there's a stronger sense of community and. And more solidarity, at least in what has to be done, because I think for the Philippines that's the way going forward. Um, you know, we all, many of your people who are educated, either go into you know academia or the business world or the they work for the government, uh, both you know, so the public and private sectors. And they, even though the educated class is small uh, compared uh, relative to the whole population, they they hold they wield tremendous influence in the country. So, and there have been precedents for this before, as I've talked about in Japan, for example. In Japan, if you, if you, none of you, or if you haven't um, listened to my episode on on the Philippines and Japan, or the Philippines can learn from Japan, uh, it was really a small group of people who really, who really built the modern nation of Japan, and now look, it's one of the richest countries in the world. Um, so I wanted to talk more about identity and community and how it's physically manifested. Uh, in this episode, uh, um, so I want to look at a 
an article that came out in 2014 in, in Interaccion by my friend Jorge. I should have him on this podcast sometime. Uh, it's uh, here, this one. Wag laitin ang Pinas. Spanish academic defense PH from American author's closed-minded depiction. So this is Jorge talking a, sort of a rebuttal from an, uh, from an American uh, writer, um, Robert Kaplan. Uh, I, I won't go through a, sort of the, I mean, that's sort of the background to what I want to talk about. And, and I just want to um, talk about a few things, um, a few extracts from this uh, article. To get, and again, as usual, I will share all the links in, in the description of this episode. But I want to read a few passages. Um, so again, as, as it pertains to urban spaces. So... Um, so this is sort of a, a rebuttal about how just because the uh, Philippines was a Spanish colony that that they brought chaos and aesthetic ugliness. Um, so this is Jorge rebuttal, re, re, Jorge's rebuttal of this assertion. Um, so here he's quoting, he's talking about um, an anthropologist from Ateneo. So as a, as a rebuttal to Kaplan's uh, ideas. And I'm going to read uh, verbatim. Ateneo de Manila's anthropologist, F. Zialcita, said that in what I believe is the best book on Filipino identity, many Spanish municipalities, municipalities excuse me, have a tradition from the Middle Ages of owning communal land which have helped the poor and have paid for public services. There is a strong civic pride that expresses itself in the care lavished on urban planning, on public buildings, and on public spaces. Uh, end quote. And again, I, I can attest to this myself because I've, I was in Spain last year and there's definitely a stronger sense of community there and public spaces and in fact I'm going to do a I took a lot of video footage that I was planning to do for a vlog on that comparing it to the Philippines but because I'm focusing more on this podcast now I'm going to I'm actually going to be doing a podcast on the Philippines and Spain modern Spain at some point but anyways watch out for that all right uh, so again uh, I won't going going forward with Jorge's article uh, Kaplan himself acknowledges that Intramuros is a notable exception to the chaos. I must add that Mr. Kaplan would have refrained from making such a, con a connection if he had simply looked at photos of Manila from the 1890s, 1920s, or even 1960s after World War II, easily available anywhere in the web. The conclusion would, would soon be made. The fall into the urban decrepitude and widespread dysfunctionality has been a very recent development that began in the mid-60s with the massive arrival of Filipino migrants from the provinces, a process that is sadly still ongoing. So I've talked to Jorge about this, and it's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting uh, theory that I had never heard of until now. But it's it, it does ring a bell to me. I, I think it, for me, in my opinion, it makes sense. Uh, why are we? Because again, I mean, you've, I'm sure many of you are aware in society we're so it's so split up. I mean. Look at the look at the TV. It's for the mass or for the provincial people. It's not for a lot of educated people, for example. For the most part, uh, mass media, for example. Um, anyways, uh, let's go on this article. The Filipino elite, obsessed with social status, run the country, protecting the assets of the oligarchs, overlooking any redistribution of wealth or any investment in the, in the provinces, that therefore remained poor, 
and centralizing strongly any policy within the limits of Metro Manila. Yeah, I agree with that. The result has been catastrophic. A mass of slightly westernized provincianos who were not used to urban rules, courtesies, and disciplines have been invading the capital until today while the elite has chosen to live in gated communities, to meet in expensive social clubs, and to spend their money in the many malls that have flourished like mushrooms all over the country. Moreover, decades of bad governance and cronyism have, have facilitated the, the fast implementation of a culture of imp improv improvisation and short-term solutions. I couldn't have said it better myself. So I basically share these views. Mm. Okay, I'm going to skip a few things here. So it's interesting, though, because so what, these are sort of, for me, these are sort of, manifestations of the, there's no sense of you know the public or greater good or a shared identity there's you know elites versus provincianos there's gated communities versus slums uh, there's no sense of no sense of contribution to from, I mean if we were to divide if we were to divide society into the haves and have-nots I mean that's a very broad division but if we were to do that I mean there's no generally speaking from either side there's no sense of contribution to the to the country for whatever reason it's and it's so sad I always feel that Rizal is spinning in his grave. Um, <clears throat> but the true, anyways, I want to read another part of towards the end of uh, this article. So, if you for you who are listening on podcast, I'm scrolling down the article. Here we go. But the truth is, the Philippines suffered the impact of globalization before any other country in the region and is experiencing a fast Americanization that is being accelerated with the support of new technologies. The Philippines possesses, in fact, a superavid, is that, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that, surplus of cultures. That's interesting, a surplus of cultures. And what is happening is that its rich human diversity is disappearing, like in so many other places, for many reasons. So this is actually, a, this is sort of a critique about globalization in general and how uh, the U.S. American culture has... Uh, sort of infiltrated every every part of the globe, which is true. I believe that, uh, unfortunately. Um, um, but it's interesting that like we 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 uh, we suffered uh, the impact of globalization before everyone else did. So it's funny because I, I feel like the stirrings of our national consciousness started with the um, reform movement with the with Rizal and his and his uh and, and his ilk um and we had something like that that was around for <clears throat> for several decades at least i believe so um some people like to say that um between the the end of the philippine wars against spain and the us and uh, the end of world war 2 we had something that was a very unique culture that we could have been proud of that was very much, excuse me, a unique national culture that we could that we could be proud of. Now, this is a mix of so many things, but it kind of, I mean, first of all, Manila was destroyed, and for whatever reason, we decided not to build it. Um, and I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that we became independent after World War II. I wonder if we had still been a U.S. colony if, if the if the Americans would have decided to rebuild Manila the way it was. I don't know, because they were also they were also the ones who bombed it um, under MacArthur. But it's interesting. I mean, remember that uh, the way I interpret Rizal, for example, is that we, he thought that we weren't ready yet for, 
for self-rule, which I tend to agree with. I mean, look at the results. Not ready yet. Um, um, where was I going with this? Um, but I wonder too, um, after, because after World War II, that was definitely the time when the U.S. sort of ruled the, the, the quote-unquote free world and exported its culture everywhere. And that was, all, that, was, that was further enhanced by globalization in the 80s and 90s. Um, so I wonder if we were just, uh, we were just the first. And, and because of our unique historical experience, like Jorge says, um, we were sort of the first to experience this kind of rapid globalization. And the problem with that is that because you're because you're globalized, there's no sense of of community. And it's weird because I consider myself a very globalized and cosmopolitan person, but I can see the the negative aspects of it. I mean, there, I think there are a lot of good things about globalization as well, but there are definitely negative aspects as well. And for me, in, in terms of the Philippines, and I'm sure elsewhere, is that uh, there's no sense of of community anymore. Or our duty to a community, like I know richer Filipinos, for example, and this is uh, this foreign friend of mine likes to say, like Filipinos, like they like to think they're from, they like they like to think they're from Los, Los Angeles. They, they pretend they're, they're Californian, you know. Um, and it's sad because I wonder if uh, cultural globalization pressures have pressured even the elite to just abandon their own culture. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, even with my own family and my own friends, like. I didn't even know we had, we had such a rich, rich uh, source of literature. Even my own great grandparents, I had no idea they wrote all this stuff. That was very, that was very rich. But we, we, none of us are aware of this. And if it is, it's like, oh, it's not good, or it's not worth showing, or wakbayabang. You know what I mean? Um, but it's weird because it, it takes a foreigner to tell us that we actually have a unique culture. How strange is that? How sad is that? Because. Um, and that's what happened with me, by the way, when I when I uh, uh, met Jorge. Uh, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but just an example of how uh, this sort of rapid globalization um, among both the um, among both the the poor and the rich in the Philippines has sort of stunted our national, you know, development. Um, um, and this, I'm just going to start with this tangent now. Okay, so. Um, I've had my own issues, my own problems with uh, with identity, and I've, I've solved them, you know, in recent years. But for a long time, I had, I had my own issues about what what am I? Is am I Filipino? Am I American? Blah blah blah. It's gonna spend. I've spent time in both countries, but you know, I, and um, um, I felt like, you know. Being first and foremost an English speaker, and then learning Tagalog. I mean, I, I could speak it, but I couldn't speak it well. But really, really learning it properly, was what, which is what I was doing in my college years in the U.S., uh, was good. It was a first step for me to to really be proud to be Filipino. Um, there was something missing, I felt, and what really changed for me was going to Spain for the first time in um, when I was in college. And just seeing a lot of where our shared our our cultural roots come from, and it is a mix. It truly is. And and a lot of and Spain does play a big part in our culture, our national culture. So, <clears throat> I knew my parents, my great grandparents, were writers in Spanish, but 
I wanted to get in touch with that, and even even to read to Rizal, for example, or, or any of these, or any of our any of our writers and intellectuals. Um, so I started a few years later. I was studying in, in Instituto Cervantes back then, which was on T.M. Callow Street, um, and that's where I met Jorge. The the faculty found out that uh, the the Senate of Callao, and then it turns out he was doing this uh, this research on Callao, and he said, "Oh, did did you know that your great father did this?" Is, Great grandfather did this, this, and that. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that. Like, my family never talked about it. We we weren't, you know, proud about it. It's weird, you know. Like, why? Why wouldn't we be proud? Like, you know, he was intellectual and all that stuff. I mean, I knew he did. I knew he was very. He really served the country, and he was director of the National Library and saved stuff from being burned during World War II, like our documents and everything like that. But these actual literary contributions, uh, I wasn't even aware of. So, anyways, that's my okay. Tangent over. <clears throat> um, so, where was I going back to? What I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, like we're just so hyper globalized that that it's like too much, and I know nationalism too too much nationalism is bad. I mean, I'm totally I'm totally cosmopolitan person. If you've ever seen any of my other, if you've seen my if you've seen my web comic, for example. Or my other, or stuff on my other brand, art and finance. You can. I'm a very cosmopolitan person, and I'm very pro, you know, internationalization. I think there are a lot of benefits to globalization, but like we're at a point where we're, we're too. The film is, is actually the opposite case, where there's too little nationalism, or I don't want to say nationalism because it's a very, it's a very uh, loaded word. I think maybe patriotism sounds a bit better. I I, I always find there's some negative con connotation to these words, but anyways. Um, I also want to add too that like it's also hard. So like, I'm sure some of you have lived abroad as Filipinos, and you, when you meet people from other countries who are in the U.S., for example, they're sort of all, I, I find a lot of them to be proud of their their country. They're proud to be from China, or from Mexico, or for India. They really keep their culture. But as we know, Filipinos, generally speaking, at least. Based on my observations, and maybe some of the, and maybe the observations of others, we're not proud of our culture, and why would? Because we don't, we're not tied to our to our intellectuals. Um, when you think of when some people think of Filipino culture, like me, it's like, I don't know, wow, wow, we or something. I mean, why would you be proud of something like that? You know, and I, I wonder too, if it's just a confluence of things because this hyper globalization happens. The moment we get democracy, where a nation that's only a nation on paper, but it's not really a nation, gets democracy. Um, and it becomes globalized, <clears throat> and also experiences the advent of mass media with a television. I mean, this is just a these this confluence of factors for me is the reason why we don't have a strong national identity. Just so many things that happen, and it might just be an accident of history. Just relatively speaking, we might have been at the wrong place at the wrong time in that respect. Um, you could say that the provincial cult culture that Jorge talks about uh, infiltrated the mass culture. So when people think about Filipinos, they're thinking maybe some people think about like I don't know all the you know all the stuff that's made for the masa on you see on TV. Um, and as, as I'm sure I've t and I think I talked about this before in my my uh, episode on beauty queens. Um, there's nothing wrong with like popular culture, but there's no counterbalance. We don't have our counterbalance to it. There's no. We've lost our sense of high culture. 
we became globalized and Americanized so quickly, much more, much faster than other countries. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can't can't speak Spanish anymore. That that was my Lola's one of her only regret as a senator, by the way, that she she removed the Spanish from the curriculum. She completely regretted that. Uh, I will talk about that. Uh, uh, that's another thing I want to talk about in a later episode. Okay. Um, so I, I worry. <clears throat> I worry about a chicken and egg situation here because when you go somewhere, like places and heritage do matter. When you go somewhere and you experience something, you, that uh, it stirs up emotions in you. That's why. That's why for me, that's one reason why. Tourism is so popular because you want to go and experience something. Uh, but when you go here and you're trying to experience the country and the city, you're not inspired because you don't see our, our cultural heritage because intramuros, which everyone, which a lot of people turn out to care about, but they're just very quiet about it. Um, it's, it's just so hard to reach and it's falling apart. And it's Colta and Benondo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we don't see it. So how can we, how, if we can't see it, how can we feel proud to be Filipino? And, but again, if we don't feel proud to be Filipino, how can we unite to solve these long-term problems and fix, the, and, and, and fix the city? So again, it's, it's like a chicken and egg problem. So, and it's, it's much more subtle too. So here's an example. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Torre de Manila controversy, but basically... There's a building, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about here in my browser. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So basically, a building's being put up behind Rizal, the Rizal Monument, and it, people are saying it looks like a photobomber. I mean, from this picture, it kind of does. <laughs> it's literally right behind um, um, the, um, the Rizal Monument in Manila. And it's a very controversial thing. Most people don't like it. But I was surprised to find out that the historian Ambeth Ocampo actually sort of saying like, he <clears throat> comes across it almost defending this, this, uh, this building. Um, according to him, it's within, their, it's within legal limits to do so. Um, but and, and I'm not going to get into all these... Uh, into the details of this article, I will sh I will post all the I will have a little section for Torre de Manila articles in the description. But basically, there's sort of all these technicalities that say like, you know, um, like it could be done. So whatever your opinion of a uh, of the of the tower is, um, <clears throat> and there are technicalities that it can be done. There are technicalities that it cannot be done. But this is sort of like. This sort of issue for me represents a problem. It's, it's like one is symbolic of the problem that we face in terms of nation building and even urban planning uh, and, and creating a city that we, we would be proud of. Is that like there's no long term view for things. And as, as Jorge said, it's all improvisation. There's this rule and that rule. If you want to change it, you, you have to change the rule, but you can't apply it retroactively. Um, you know, it's legal to do this, it's not legal to do that. You know, and then it's just. Um, I mean, the, the court cases are still ongoing. Um, there's a cease and desist order, then there's, you know, but then it's apparently legal to do it, you know. Um, I mean, I, I think I personally am not against redevelopment, 
but it has to be done in a planned way, and it has to look nice. But as it is, it's just, it's it's uh, it's all in, improvised. And it, and when you, when you're creating a city, I mean, that's why it's called urban planning. It's not called urban improvisation, right? You want to plan things out so things are good. So again, the Torre de Manila is an is an example of, of the issues we face, uh, both inwardly in terms of our. In terms of our um, <clears throat> lack of national identity and community, and also outwardly, it's 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 manifest outwardly in the sense that there's no long-term planning. Um, I mean, it's a, it's sad that the Burnham plan wasn't followed either, right? Uh, there was a plan for the city under Daniel Burnham, who designed Chicago, that didn't happen. It's, it's really sayang talaga. Sayang, sayang, sayang. I'm tired of saying sayang. Always sayang this, sayang that. We should be moving forward and doing something. Um, um, let's see. So, and Manila is important. Um, that's why I called this podcast and my this brand first with Manila. It's the capital of the country and the heart of its its of its nationalism. Um, it's time to revive the culture that flourished here, that of Rizal, Erecto, Mabini, Paterno, others, Bernabe, writers and intellectuals and nationalists that we can be proud of, who are accomplished. As an alternative or as a counterbalance to popular culture. Mm. Um, there is something that I wanted to. There is one. Um, there is one more thing I wanted to take from Jorge's article here. Um, uh, here, here we go. But I, too, but I believe too that the cultural shift occurring in the Philippines, much faster in urban centers than in provinces is an exciting laboratory to observe the confluence of what is inherently Austronesian, Spanish, Chinese, or American, and how Filipinos more or less consciously are selecting cultural items and practices that are shaping their culture continuously. So uh, basically we, have to, we are a mix of different things and we should be proud of that. And we should use that and develop something that's really cool. And we have that already actually. And I think the, the starting point with that was our society in Manila uh, before World War, before World War Two, I think that's and it's and based on the data from what I've seen, a lot of people seem to agree with me tacitly. Um, so to, this is the sort of the culture I want to propagate in the modern form. It's obviously twenty first century, that's up to date. That's my New Year's, New Year's resolution. So I want to do that through, again, again, marketing a more developed, a uh, sense of who we are who we have been and who we are and who we can be um, based on pre-war Manila, um, a modern version of pre-war Manila. And so I have this podcast. I'm going to do that through this podcast. Uh, occasional artwork when at the time. Um, artwork's kind of a volatile thing I've learned. Uh, hopefully I have another exhibit soon. I was supposed to have one last year, but it was canceled, but I'll let you know when the next one is. And please, please support by going there, and you will see me in person. We can talk. Um, so, 
even do things like I, I want to do things also like you know small things on social media because social media for me is a very powerful tool for making your voice and your vi your voice heard and your vision and your vision shown to people. Um, um, I wanted to do some memes of some of our old, some of our national literature in Spanish and then uh, with my artwork as well and with the translation. Um, also want to promote Spanish, obviously. That's one of my big things you've noticed already as one of our national languages again. And I think with the artwork too, I want to obviously do more paintings of a idealized Manila that where the, where we have long-term urban planning. Um, I also, I mean, and so that's sort of the cultural side. And so I haven't forgotten the, my policy beginnings either. So even though that's sort of the main thrust of what I want to do with First of Manila going forward as my New Year's resolution, um, I do want to develop sort of an urban and economic uh, planning platform to go along with it. I think that's going to be difficult because I have, I have a vague idea of where I want to go, but I want to make it more bulletproof so that it stands out. It's uh, it makes sense to everyone or as many people as possible. So that I mean, this is a very ambitious part too, is to have this uh, this sort of platform and this economic and long-term planning platform uh, for the country. I want to make it a popular, a popular issue, so that whoever runs for president, they more or less have the same uh, economic platform, and that platform can continue. Ideally, uh, whoever becomes president over the long term, so over the long term, get things done. Um, so that is obviously. Very, very, very difficult. So, what I'm trying to do basically is, <laughs> is to build a build a country in a sense of of, of national identity and, <laughs> and and strong institutions without without any form of dictatorship. <laughs> That's frankly going to be very difficult, and would be a first in history. But maybe we can do it together. Maybe we can do it together. Um, and I think the idea is here is to is to obviously I'm still developing the platform but when it's ready and I get a big following behind it then we can sort of influence the right people so again uh, I want to influence the educated classes of the Philippines so that uh, so that we all kind of work towards the greater good I mean in terms of uh, d democracy and politics it is what it is there's not much we can do there because the massa votes um, I would rather make sure that the people in charge of the government, and particularly the civil servants who can really get things done and really reform things, I want there to be the preconditions for lasting reform. That's the way I want to say it. Preconditions for lasting reform is what we have to create right now. The preconditions have to be there, and they're not there. And that's something that I feel can be doable through, through building a, a following or a movement on social media, whether it's you know, on, on, on Facebook, or whether it's on a social network or it's podcasting or on YouTube or wherever, that sort of moves forward. So, and this is a long-term a long thing. It's a long struggle, but I think it's worth doing. As a Filipino, I'm proud to do something for my country. And I know you are too, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to me. And together we can work, with, we can work towards this.
And I'm more I'm confident in saying this because I've run this podcast long enough to see the following grow, and to see that and seeing the, the data analytics from my Facebook page, I, I know people do care. We just have to we we just have to keep going at it, growing and continuously going forward, every step forward, even even if it's a small step forward. So, mabuhay tayong lahat. Thank you all for your support and. If you like this, please do share um, and try and get people. Let's build this movement together. Okay. So, Happy New Year. Manigong bagong taon. Feliz Ano Nuevo. Before I, before I end this podcast, let's just go over some quick... Uh, I just want to go over this quick, really quickly. Just the basic Spanish pronouns um, in, in translating Tagalog. So, a little, little education as, as usual. So, yo is ako. Tu is ikaw. El or ella is sha. So there's no gender in, in Tagalog, but there's gender in, I don't know, he and her, he or she in Spanish. Nosotros or nosotras, uh, tayo or kami, uh, vosotros, vosotras, uh, kayo, um, ellos or ellas, um, sila. So those are the basic pronouns. Um, let's and when you have a pronoun, you, and there's a verb, of course. Uh, so, and when you have a verb, you conjugate it to match whatever the time or the pronoun. So, in the present tense, um, let's say in Tagalog, for example, kain, uh, kumakain ako, right? Kumakain siya, kumakain ka, right? Those are all conjugations, right? So it's the same thing in same thing in in in, uh, in Spanish. Um, uh, to eat, kain is kumain uh, is comer. Uh, so the conjugation for the present tense, like I eat or kumakain ako, is yo como, tu comes. So ikaw, tu comes, el come, ella come, nosotros, nosotras comemos. So again, these are all, this, is, this, is the verb, this is the verb comer being conjugated. Vosotros, vosotras, so sila, si, uh, or kayo, kumakain kayo, right? Vosotros, kumais, uh, kum, um, and kumakain sila, uh, ellos comen, or ellas comen. So, comer, yo como, tu comes, él or ella come, nosotros, nosotras, or nosotras, comemos, um, vosotros or vosotras coméis and um, ellos or ellas uh, comen okay that's it for now I will see you next week uh, next week by the way uh, the episode is going to be one day late uh, I'm going I'm planning to go to this uh, talk with the senatorial uh, candidates next Monday so I will only have time to to record on Tuesday evening next week. So you will probably see the next episode of First of Manila podcast on Wednesday. All right, that's it. Thank you. Ingat.